dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you that you are a speaking God, that your light is a lamp unto our feet and a light on our path. And we pray that as we come to you to hear from you this day, that you might enlighten us and lead us, that our hearts, our minds, our ears might be open, might be listening and might be believing. In the name of Jesus, amen. How do you know if a glass is made of glass or is made of plastic? Now, you might be able to tell just from looking at it, but how do you know if it's made from glass or made from plastic? Well, you test it. You test it. Oh, oh, that sounds better. How do you know that this is made of glass and not plastic when they look so similar? You test it. You test it. How do you know if someone's faith is sincere, if their love is sincere? Well, you test it. And how do you test it? Well, by looking at someone's bank balance. <laughs> you test if love and faith is sincere by looking at someone's bank balance. And I know what you're probably uh, thinking uh, 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 right now. You're thinking, Adam, we're in England. Lots of us are English. And English do not talk about money. This is just going to be cringy and it's just going to be awkward. And I hear you. I hear you. I'm definitely one of those people who like to avoid cringy and awkward conversations at any cost. And I find talking about money cringy and awkward uh, uh, as well. And yet, we open up God's word here in 2 Corinthians. And here is God talking about money. And he seems to do it quite a lot. So maybe I need to get better at it. Or maybe you're, you're sat there thinking, no, Adam, a whole like, reading about generosity and giving and money and you're talking about money and faith, sincerity is faith is checking a bank balance. You may be thinking, well, I'm like just looking into Christian things. I don't really know what I think about Jesus, but I've heard that the church is obsessed with getting my money. And this just proves it, doesn't it? There you are up there talking about money. Typical. Absolutely typical. The church can sometimes seem obsessed by money, that is true. But fear not. This is the first time, and I've been at Christchurch two and a half years, where we've really had a sermon so directly on, on giving. And, and we've really got there because we're working our way through 2 Corinthians. We started it last, uh, last term, we took a break for Christmas, and so we've started it again. And as we look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, well, we test the sincerity of someone's faith by looking at their bank balance. And let me demonstrate that. Let's keep uh, our Bibles open. So chapter 8, verses uh, 1 to 5, Paul starts off by giving us an example uh, of the Macedonians. He wants to encourage this early church in Corinth, look at the Macedonians. And if they were to look at the Macedonian church, well, it's quite an example of people who are giving generously, because these people are extremely poor. They're undergoing severe trials, but they are overflowing with joy, and they actually begged Paul, they begged him for a chance to give. When was the last time you begged for a chance to give? When was the last time you did that? And here we have this Macedonian church begging for a chance to give. And the question might be, well, what is Paul requiring the Corinthians to give to? What a Macedonian church is giving to? Well, there is a financial sort of difficulty in Jerusalem where the early church was established. And Christians there are in great poverty and great need. 
And so Paul has been going around these early churches, which he established, asking them to give to those Christians in Jerusalem. So that's who they're giving to. Um, and, but Paul has an interestingly powerful explanation for that Macedonian attitude towards giving. Look down at verse 5. And they, do, and they did not do what as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Why did the Macedonian church give? Why did they beg to give? Because they're giving themselves first to the Lord. And Paul urges the Corinthians, well, follow suit. Do the same. Follow in that mighty example. Now, the Corinthian church has had many problems, as we've seen as we've been going to Corinthians last term. But they're still beloved brothers and sisters. And they're, and they're a church which actually in many ways are excelling. They're excelling in faith. They're excelling in speech. They're excelling in knowledge. And now Paul urges them, we'll complete the task. Excel in the grace of giving. It's almost like faith, speech, knowledge are ingredients. They're ingredients which create something else. Like egg, sugar, and flour creates a faith. Um, egg, sugar, and flour create a cake, sorry. <laughs> faith, speech, and knowledge um, creates a person who is willing to give, who is willing to love the other greater than the self. And as I was pondering on these words in Corinthians 2, well, they reminded me of words which Paul has already said in Corinthians 1. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Importantly, as we look here, um, Paul is urging this Corinthian church to give, but he is not commanding them to give. And we see that in verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Look at the Macedonian church, he's saying. Look at them. They're poor. They're poor. They're under trial, and yet they begged to give. Look at your bank balance, Corinthian church. Are you sincere? He's testing them. Is this a sincere faith or not? He's testing them. Look at your bank balance. That is the means by which this test is going to happen. And then he encourages them in verses 10 to 12, then finish what you've started. Finish what you've started here. Because actually verses 10 to 12 shows us that we're actually already halfway through a conversation of something which has already begun. And actually in, in, in the previous year, the Corinthian church has already started to pledge to give to that needy Christians in Jerusalem. And here we have Paul saying, well, finish that work. You're willing, now finish it. Because willingness isn't everything. You might be perfectly willing to finish a race, but at the end of the day, if you're only halfway through down the track, it's not finished until you've crossed the finish line. Finish the race. Cross the finish line. Don't just be winning. Finish the task which you set out to do. And uh, we also get a note of encouragement in verse uh, 12, because you might be sat there thinking, as we're talking about giving and this early Corinthian church, we're talking thus about us as well, and our attitude towards giving, you might be sat there thinking, Adam, don't you realize that we're halfway through like an energy crisis? We're halfway through a cost of living crisis. I'm struggling just to, 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 to pay my own bills and to feed my own family. And now we're talking about giving. 
And, and how, how faith, we test our faith, the sincerity of it, by looking at our bank balance. Well, here Paul's encouraging words to us in, in verse 12. Verse 12. But if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Paul isn't asking this Corinthian church to impoverish themselves to a state of like desperation and a state of need. No, he's asking them to give from what they have, give from the abundance of what they already have. That is the space from which they are to give. And why are they to do this? Well, the glorious goal of this giving is equality, as we see in verses 13 to 15 in that final section. Let me read that. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. That, um, that quote there we have at the end, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little, that's actually a quote from the Old Testament, from, from Exodus. That is, that is a quote from the story of the people uh, as they're walking through the wilderness. And the Israelites are walking through the wilderness, they've been saved from Egypt, and the, God is leading them to the promised land, and they're hungry. They're hungry, and so God pours down the bread of heaven, pours down uh, upon them. Manna pours down upon them, and each and every person has what they need. No one has too much, no one has too little. Everyone has what they need. Equality has always been the name of the game in the people of God. And this is the equality which Paul is wanting from this Corinthian church, to see the needy. And this is, well, this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because this is what salvation does when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ acknowledge him as saviour and lord it creates a spiritual realignment within each of us suddenly it is the lord god who we love of all our hearts and minds and bodies and souls and it is our neighbours who we love more than ourselves as we come to Jesus he changes our loves so that we love god and we love neighbour more than we love self and so it makes sense that as we're loving god and neighbour more than self that this will create the most beautiful society, the most beautiful world, a world of that financial equality, a world where the needy are cared for, are looked after. And why is this done? So that in the Corinthians' turn, when they are needy, they might be looked after as well. What is the main point from 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 15? What is God saying to us here today? The sincerity of our faith is seen in our bank balance. The sincerity of our faith is seen in our bank balance. That's what God is saying to us here today at Sidco. And that should make us stop and pause and think, what does my bank balance, what does it say about me? As God looks at Adam Curtis's bank balance, what does it say about Adam Curtis? What does it say about me? What does it say about my faith? What does it say about my love? What does it say about me? And as we're stopping thinking about that, well, we want to be people who then want to pray about that and reflect about it, on that. And maybe we want to discuss that with other people. And if it's right, then we want to act on it as well. And I often try and think about my giving 
in terms of three sort of areas. I want to give to the ch- my, my personal church, my body of believers, I want to give to them. I want to give to those people who are physically needy and who, who need that financial support. And I want to give to those people who are spiritually needy, who haven't had the opportunity to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we pray about these things, discuss these things, think about these things, reflect on these things, well, we want to do that from a reverence for the Lord because we want to be people who are serving the Lord first, not out of just a place of of fear about what someone else might think about us. And as I've been thinking about 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, and thinking, well, what does my bank balance have to say about me? I've been very struck that as a single man, no one knows what I spend money on. Not, not anyone knows what I spend money on. Reality is probably for most, most couples, they probably have an understanding of what the other person spends money on. But no one knows what I spend money on. And it has made me think, well, maybe I need to actually go to some like, trusted friend uh, and just be honest and be like, okay, but this is what I'm spending money on. Do you think that's wise? Do you think that's unwise? Is that generous? Is that selfish? Just ask people those sort of searching sort of questions. And as I'm honest about this up here, part of me doesn't want to be honest about that because I'm actually quite like the fact that no one knows what I spend my money on and, and I can just sort of live in secrecy in that re- regard. But our bank balance shows the sincerity of our faith and of our love. See, God hasn't made us to, to walk this path alone. He's made us to do this in community. And so we should lean on other people and just ask other people as well. People we trust. So it doesn't have to be put on Facebook or anything silly like that. Um, people we trust, people we know, see what they have to think. But it forces us also to ask a question, or maybe you're asking this question right now as we're talking about bank balances and money and generosity and giving. Well, why on earth do we want to do this? Why do we want to do this? Why do we want the awkwardness of having to analyze our bank balances and thinking about our giving? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to have to ask ourselves hard questions about who we are and what our love is? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to have to spend all this time thinking about money? Can't we just work hard and spend our money and just enjoy it? Why do we want to spend this time thinking? Well, because of the good news. Because of the good news. One of the most beautifully rich verses in Corinthians is here in chapter 8. Look down with me at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Before Jesus became a human being, before he was born in that manger of a virgin girl, Jesus lived in a state of prosperity that is simply just impossible for us to get our heads around and to imagine. And Jesus' prosperity isn't really weighed in material goods, in gold and silver and diamonds and gems. Even though we, we could wear it like that because Jesus made all things, so he owns all things, so his prosperity and his wealth is greater than others. But no, Jesus' true state of prosperity existed before creation existed, existed before these material things were ever even um, be able to be held. Jesus' state of unimaginable prosperity existed because the Son was in a perfect relationship 
with the Father. Because they were one. Perfection with perfection, beauty with beauty, joy with joy, were one, were unified forever. That is the state of Jesus' richness. And that is the state that as he, as he left his throne of glory and descended on earth and took on our form and clothed himself in our flesh, that is the state he left as he became poor, as he became like one of us with our skin and our bones and our bodies, as he was born of a carpenter and a virgin girl and laid in a manger, as he took upon our poverty, he became poor, as he became like one of us. But as he became poor and became like one of us, he also took on the essence of our poverty. The reason that we have poverty in the first place. He took on the essence of our poverty, the lowest of the low, as he took on our sin and our shame and our rebellion. As he died for us upon that cross. So that through this poverty which Jesus has taken on himself, he might lift us up so that we can share in the glories of his richness, so that we can share in the glories of that union with God the Father, so that we too can be united with perfection, united with joy, united with beauty forever and ever, so that we too can enter that state of eternal bliss. And that's why, that's why we want to ask the hard questions and look at our bank balances, that's why we want to think about how sincere is my faith and is my love. We're doing this because of the good news. Because everything that was given for us, but above all, everything that was won for us through the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. That's why we ask ourselves the hard questions. That's why we undergo the test. Is it fake? Is it real? Because of the good news. Let's spend a, just a moment just in personal sort of meditation upon God's word. And then I'll close in prayer. know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Dear God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you for your word. That convicts us and asks us to ask these deep questions. And we ask and pray, Father God, will you help us to be a collective, as a, as a community, as a church, thinking these things through deeply, but also as individuals. What do our bank balances say about us? What do they say about our love? What do they say about our faith? Help us to be prayers and 
Paul gives us reflecting on these things and help us to to, to act as well and to move forwards and onwards. And help us always to do this by the power and motivation of all that has been won and achieved for us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.